Hello everyone and thank you for joining me for this Textile Talk podcast. My name is Gail Cowley and I'll be your host for this episode. Today I'm joined by Debbie and Di from the world famous Appleton's brand of cruel and tapestry wool which has been used for nearly 200 years across the globe in some of the most prestigious tapestries and embroideries, in cathedrals, stately homes and government buildings. Founded in 1835 by Thomas Appleton, Appleton's is just as evangelical about British wool today as he was back then. All 425 colours are dyed and spun in Yorkshire, and the wool is 100% British. The range, which is available in cruel wool, which is a two-ply yarn, and tapestry, which is a four-ply yarn, still incorporates all the William Morris shades, as well as featuring a contemporary colour palette. The wool is used by modern and traditional designers, stitchers, weavers, needlework schools, and rug restorers throughout Europe, Asia, Australasia and North America. More recently, Appleton's have also worked with needlepoint designers to launch a range of tapestry and embroidery kits under the Appleton's brand, all of which are hand-assembled in Buckinghamshire. Today, Appleton's prides itself on the quality and consistency of the wool they produce and on creating distinctive, beautiful kits to encourage others in the mindful, therapeutic and creative art of stitching. Thank you so much um, to both Debbie and Di for joining me this morning on this Textile Talk podcast. It's lovely to speak to you and I really appreciate you taking the time out of what I know is a, a busy day to be here today. Oh, that's right. We're delighted to be here. So the first thing that I'd perhaps like to, to start off with is a little bit of history, if I may. Mm-hmm. So I realise that Appletons have a long history and they've been producing yarn for quite some time, probably long before any of us were around. Definitely. (laughs) So could you tell me a little bit about how you personally became involved with Appletons? Well, yes, um, it does go back a long way, back to the 1850s, (laughs) when um, the wool was, when it started, because of the arts and crafts movement, who were doing a lot of tapestry in those days, William Morris and William Morris and all his gang, and uh, they produced the colours that William Morris needed, which are still in our range actually. Um, and then it stayed within the Appletons family right until 2013, when the last Appleton sold it to me. Um, so we've been going now for ten years, um, and. Now it is purely and simply a wool company with with 425 colours of wool. Um, and, and in the last three years, we've slightly diversified in that we're now making kits, um, which we'll get to a little bit later. And we can tell you a little bit more about the wool too later on. Um, but that's a brief, brief resume. And what made you want to buy it? I mean, did you have a did you have knowledge of it beforehand? Yes. Oh, I'd always used Appleton's all my life, and I've 
always been involved in embroidery and tapestry. Uh, in fact, I lived in the States and, and taught it there and then came back. And then the opportunity just presented itself. And someone said to me one day, Di, you should buy the business. And I did. Uh, <laughs> and that, otherwise, I think it would have gone to the wall, which would have been very, very sad. Mm. And I was so anxious for it not to die. And you know the rest is history and that we've we've um, grown and and the business has has is doing so well now so it's a very happy story oh that's so, lovely yes so so what is it that you've changed about the business to bring bring about that turnaround well we've probably most importantly brought it into the 21st century and um, <laughs> uh, when we bought it in 2013 they didn't own a computer so if you can imagine where that's gone, oh, uh, and now we're almost entirely online, and um, as is the whole of, of, our, of, of the sort of people who are selling our wool are selling it online around the world. And um, no, I, obviously, we've, we've, moved, we've moved on in a major way. Mm. And... Com not not computerized before 2013 that exactly. sounds almost impossible doesn't it not in today's exactly. age no, when I bought it they had one typewriter and that was the only thing they used oh my um, and all all the machinery was incredibly old most most of it was 100 years old so we've replaced all our machines now we're we're buying new machines as we speak um, and uh, it's changed. We also moved it out of London, so we're now in Oxfordshire. But um, not that that really makes a difference hmm. <laughs> in today's world. Well, yes, that's true. Yes, yes. So, has the actual process of um, making the wool has that changed at all? No, that hasn't. And and nor has the source. In that, all our wool is still sourced from Bradford, which is the centre of the wool world in in the UK, um, and it is all hundred percent. British, which is as it was and always will be. Mm. So, um, and Debs can go into that um, with a little bit more detail about where the wool comes from. Um, yes. So we we still but we still use. We basically we buy all of our wool from the British Wool Board. So I don't know how much you know about the British Wool Board, but it's basically a collective um, owned by about thirty five thousand sheep farmers. Um, so it's a, a sort of a UK collective and, and we buy our wool from there and we use a, 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 um, a effectively, I suppose, like a wool trader. And the way that the British Wool Board work is they hold auctions. Um, I think they have, it's something like about 13 or 14 a year. And so he will effectively, uh, they're all online now though, but I mean, he will effectively buy wool at one of the auctions and we're quite specific about the type of wool that we, that we require. So because we dye um, so many different colours. Some of our colours, for example, are very pale colours. So in order for those colours to take, the wool that we buy or, or our, our buyer, when he goes to the auctions, he makes sure he gets the whitest wool he possibly can. And um, and the UK wool isn't as, as as bright, for example, as Australian wool. But we we are absolutely determined to make sure that we keep everything um, British, that we support the the British textile industry. Um, so we're very very um, careful and picky to make sure we get the whitest wool we possibly can from British sheep. But we also have to be quite careful about the the length of fibre that we buy. Um, and so. 
if you're doing a tapestry, for example, you you don't want to have a fluffy tapestry at the end of it, um, which is quite different to if you if you wanted a nice soft fluffy jumper. So the wool that you would select for uh, tapestry wool would be quite different to the wool that you might select if you were doing if you were looking for a knitting um, wool. So we we are quite specific about the length of fibre so that we make sure that we don't have like a what we would call a beard on the wool. Um, we're quite specific about the colour of the wool. We look for a uniformity in the crimp. Um, we look for strong fibres because if you're pulling it through a canvas, we don't want those fibres to break. Um, so we don't. So often people will say to us, "Well, what what breed of sheep does your wool come from?" And we can't really answer that because we it's a it, it might come from five or six different breeds, but what we're looking for is not the breed necessarily, but the fibre length, the colour, and that that can all be determined by environmental factors as well as breed. Um, so yeah, so so that's what we're looking for, and and we've been dealing with the same wool trader now for, gosh, I think I think he he has records I think going back to the nineteen. 60s and 70s um, so we've been working with the set so he knows really he really knows what we need yeah um, which is great um so yeah so that's so so that hasn't changed at all mm-hmm. um but then you know the wool then once it's been purchased it then um it then gets scoured and cleaned and, and effectively turned in and combed and turned into what we call a top um and then that top then would go to a spinner and this is all done in the UK our spinner is in the UK um, and they will they will spin our wool to our our specifications and and in that case it's two different specifications that we have because we sell two different types of wool we sell tapestry wool which is a four ply and we sell cruel wool which is a two ply but also within those plot I'm getting very technical here do you want this much no absolutely yes certainly do (laughs) so so the two ply wool um we 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 call it a 214s and the 14 refers to the diameter of each of the strands each of the the the, so in two ply you've got effectively two strands and our four ply is a a four nines and the nine refers to the thickness of the strand so our 214s that the the um the cruel wool has got thinner strands in than the the tapestry wool which has got thicker strands in so the numbers the higher the number the smaller the diameter weirdly mm-hmm. um but basically so we have it so we have it spun completely differently for the two for the two wool the two thicknesses that we do and then it's plied again at the spinners then it gets sent to our dyers which is also in the UK um and the dyeing is done certainly I'm sure it wouldn't have been done necessarily like this when um, William Morris was using it it probably would have been far more natural dyes um but because of the way that you dye wool, you have to use an acid dye because an alkaline um, will destroy the wool. So we use some, we use acid leveling dyes for our wool. And again, because if you're doing a tapestry, it's a bit like if you're buying wallpaper, for example, you, you need to make sure that you buy from the same lot. And with tapas- with, with our, our wools, we frequently have people who have got through or halfway through a tapestry and they've run out of wool or they found a tapestry that their granny had done 50 years ago and they want to finish it mm-hmm. and so we're really again really picky about making sure that our colors are consistent um so for from that 
perspective we we use um we, you know we're not able to use sort of natural natural dyes because you wouldn't be able to get a consistent color and that's really important for us because we want people to know that if they've started a tapestry um 50 years ago and they come back and they try and buy the same color that it it, it no it's not going to be from the same dialogue but it should be pretty jolly close um so so mm. uh, yeah so we use acid leveling dyes um and then once the wool's dyed it then it then comes here and as Di was saying our machines have changed quite a lot from when um when Di bought the company 10 years ago so we now have it's much more automated here um we have one guy who looks after all of our machines for us um and um so it's so what we do here is we turn the hanks of wool um, we can put it on cone now or we turn them into the small skeins that have got the sort of Appleton's wrapper around that people people will recognize. And why would you put it onto a cone? Is there some reason that that someone would need that amount? Yeah, often. So if you're weaving for, with, with, with wool, for example, um, you would want it on a cone. Um, and that's something quite recent, that, that's something quite new for us. So we've always had to put, because our wool is dyed in hats. There's two different ways of dyeing wool. Um, you can dye it by hanks, which is where you effectively, you, you almost hang all the hanks and then they get sort of dunked into a big vat of dye. Mm. Um, or you can do something called package dyeing. And that's where um, the wool is put onto a cone and then the dye is sort of forced through at quite high pressure um, through the cone and, and that can dye it that way but because again because of the nature of what our wool is used for which is tapestries and embroideries um, if you dye in the package dyeing way which is how most wool is dyed actually um, what can happen is it can it can really affect the fibers because pressure is being put through at such a high it's, it's been put through the dye is being put through at such a, such a high pressure um, that that can cause a problem with the fibers but also you can get uneven dyeing and so in order to get the most even dye you can and which is the least harmful to your fibers we dip dye it effectively so it's called hank dyeing so we'll dye it on a hank and we'll then back wind that onto a cone in order to then wind it onto the smaller skeins but also what we've um as, as you said why do people want it on cone so previously we hadn't sold it by cone but now we're finding that some of our larger kit um, companies want it on cone because if you're putting together a kit you might want I don't know 10 meters of one color and you might only want one meter of another color um, depending on what your design is and if it's on cone you're not you're, you're putting exactly what the customer requires into the kit as opposed to putting in a hank maybe when you only need a quarter of a hank or putting in a skein when you only need enough to do two eyes does that make sense yes no it does completely so um in that case obviously someone would be packaging their own kits but do you yeah. package kits as well mm, we do so we have a range of our own kits that we obviously put together um but we do offer um some of our customers will put together their kits so they'll give us recipes effectively um and then we'll put those together in, in a sort of wool bag and we'll send it to the the um the, the, the customer and then they'll put it together with their design um often people will order I mean that is a big part of our business is kit making so often people will order the colors they need and they'll put the kits together themselves it, it just depends on you know 
whether they want to use that it's, it's very time consuming putting putting all bags together so I guess it depends how they are how they're yes. managing from a hand yes I, I can well imagine um if you sort of had to um compare your yarns with obviously something like DMC or or uh, whatever mm-hmm. what would you say the main differences are um so from a no nobody sort of um we have very few competitors that do cruel wool mm-hmm. so and the competitors that do do cruel wool they wouldn't do the range that we do because we do all 425 colors in both weights so with cruel wool there isn't really i mean there's there's a few others aren't there die but there's not really yeah, very many particularly in america yeah, in mm. America, there's more 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 people doing cruel, but um, yeah, there's not very many competitors who do cruel wool. Um, with tapestry, obviously, there are more competitors. You're right. You've got DMC, you've got Anchor, um, but I would say um, our wool is the, the the best thing about our wool is the fact it's British, and I think that stands for a lot to have low wool miles. It's all done in the UK. You're supporting British industries. We're supporting British farmers, the British textile industry, British dyers, British spinners. And I think if you go back, you know, wool was the UK's biggest export if you go back 500 years. And when, which in fact I did about a month ago, you go up to Bradford and you go to all of those mill towns and you see, um, the the big old mills and how so many of them have been turned into flats and things Mm. it's just so amazing to walk into a working mill that has been there I think the one that we use uh was start it was definitely was it pre-Victorian no it was Victorian Mm -hmm. so it's been around for over 100 years and to walk in and to think about the history and how you feel like you're supporting that industry and it's so important to the UK I think that's the best thing about our wool Mm. is that it's it's wool for us wool starts off by being incredibly environmentally sound um it's unbelievably sustainable a sheep will grow a fleece every year mm-hmm. um it's um so so from that perspective it's great but then also just the fact that with us it's very low wool miles you know it's it's the furthest it travels is from bradford down here to yeah yeah so um yeah that's what i would say and we do hear a lot don't we about supporting our our farmers particularly sheep farmers at the moment because um they 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 struggle i think the price of wool has generally gone down for them at least yeah. what they receive has yeah yeah it, it's yeah and when you see um you know as i said as i did again a, a month ago and you go through these mills and you go through the processes that the wool then goes through you think crikey i can see why it's you know i'm surprised it's not more expensive when you see the amount of machines it has to go through to get to the state that it is um when it when it lands in a customer's hands um mm. yeah it's quite phenomenal and you're right it's absolutely vital to support the british the british farmers and we've just gone through quite a big exercise with the british wool board actually in making sure that our wool is completely traceable so we went back and and we had to provide lots of information about you know who who we used to to spin our wool who we used to dye that uh, to, to to create the tops um, where it's bought and they were then able to to, to in, it enabled them then to get it back to a certain auction and to actually maintain mm-hmm. it, you know, make sure that the whole 
that you know the whole process of where it's being bought from that we know exactly where it's coming from you know you can trace it back to the the lot it's being bought from and therefore then the farmers um, and that's really important to us yes yeah you did mention natural dyes um previously and saying obviously that they are not consistent enough for you to use but yeah. do you do you perhaps consider other processes whereby the ecological impact of dye is lessened Yes. So, um, so two things on that front. Firstly, we, we now sell undyed wool. So if people do want to dye it themselves, which actually is increasingly, um, you do get lots of people who want to just, you know, small sort of cottage industries, they want to do their own dyeing using their own natural, um, you know, dyes that they might have sourced. Um, so we now do sell undyed wool for people to do that with. Um, but yes, the, the, you're right. And, um, you know, when I'm talking about the environmental impact on wool and the sustainability, probably the least sustainable bit is the dyeing um, by the very nature of the fact that it, it requires quite a lot of water. It requires you to heat that water up to a certain temperature. Um, but but what our dyer does is they're part of, um, I suppose, for want of a better word, an environmental club called the IPPC. Um, and what they do is they have to make sure that um, they have signed up to certain procedures and regulations, um, specifically with Yorkshire Water, that the effluent that they that they create, um, it doesn't go into the, it, it doesn't get discharged until it's at the right pH, it's at the right temperature. They have to make sure there's no sulfide, no chemical oxygen in it. So there's an awful lot of rules and regulations that our dyers have to adhere to um, in order to actually to dye the wool. So yes, it needs chemicals, um, but um, they they try to be as environmentally sound as they can. They also would, they recycle their water as much as possible um, because it's in their interest to to keep that hot water as much as they can because, you know, they want to burn less gas and, and mm. which is how, how the, the water is heated up. But you can't get away from the fact that if you want consistent colors and you want a consistent range and and the way we sell our wool is we sell it in a, a range so we might have a color um for example sort of gray green or something whereby you'd you'd the, the colors go from from very light to a much to a very sort of dark color so within one range you can get maybe nine different colors um so that you can do sort of quite nice gradation on your tapestries mm. now you couldn't achieve that if you were trying to do it really with natural dyes i don't think not to keep to be consistent yeah um so it's it's a balance between making sure that it's you've got a, a really consistent dye um, but that is also as environmentally sound as we can possibly make it. And I'm really confident that having also just been up to see the dyers, that that, that is happening. Mm -hmm. As you say, there is always a compromise to be had, isn't there, with these things? And ultimately, if you want colours that you can rely on purchasing time and time again, you know, if you run out part way, then you do need something that is is reliably dyed. Yeah. And obviously, perhaps might be washed, you don't want it to run. So there are things that you do require in a thread. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that's quite an interesting point that you just made, because um, there's so when you're dyeing a product, um, what we look for is 
yes, we do obviously make sure that it's it's as color fast as it can be. But what's more important to us is that it's light fast. So mm. because again, if you so if you were if you were dyeing something for um for, for clothing, your what's number one in your in your mind is that this has to make sure that this is going to be washed. We need to make sure it can go in the washing machine or it can be hand washed to a certain temperature. Now if you're if you're dyeing wool that's going to be hung on a wall or it's going to be um, put into a cushion it's going to be left in a room it might be on a sofa it might be in front of a window um, what's really important to us is that our colors are as light fast as possible and so often you you have to there's a balance again there so we we tread a very careful balance um, in making sure that that number one in our mind is how light fast is this color and the the stronger the colors particularly with oranges um it can be a real challenge to get them to be light fast um it's much easier to have a light fast um obviously cream or, or paler color but actually some of the really really strong colors um, <laughs> we have to make sure our, our our colors are light fast mm -hmm. so if you have if you were dying um a, a, a garment you would want to make sure that that what you were using could be put through the washing machine or it could be hand washed to a reasonable temperature if you're using that wool to um to stitch something that is ultimately going to go on the wall or going to be turned into a cushion for a sofa um foremost in your mind is is this going to fade in the daylight mm. and so we need to make sure that that we use dyes and um acid leveling dyes are reasonably good at this but we need to make sure that we use dyes that don't fade in the, the daylight so our dyes are constantly tweaking colors and in fact we we brought out a new range recently and it was really tough to do because the range we we brought out was a sort of neon range and the brighter the colors the more difficult it is to get them light fast so it's a constant balance making sure that the recipe that you use is as light fast as possible that's not to say that we don't consider it being like it being you know color fast in in water we do obviously because we we understand that people might need to sponge clean their tapestries so we 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 do pay attention to that but we pay more attention to it being light fast and would you recommend uh, that somebody did wash if if they were if they perhaps embroidered a a cushion using cruel wool that um they'd be able to wash it at the end is there anything specific they would have to do to care for it um, so what we say is that it, we we just recommend that you sponge clean the wool, mm -hmm. that you don't put it through the washing machine. Um, that's not to say, I mean, some like uh, some of our colours, um, you can put put in the washing machine. It depends on whether or not um, it's a sort of a very very bright bright colour. Um, so some of them we have we've gone through some trialing processes and we have put them through and they've they've been absolutely fine, but. But because, as I said, we we focus far more on it being light fast, and you can't you can't have both necessarily. Mm. Um, so so that's why why we just we recommend just sponge clean it really. Right, and and if if you did uh, subject them to water, yeah. would would they run or would they stay as they are? No, I mean it depends. It's it. 
it depends on, it's a bit of a sliding scale. So it depends on the temperature of the water that you're subjecting it to. I mean, we do recommend, in fact, I might talk a bit more about this. We do recommend that once you, for example, once you've actually stitched your piece, you can then spray it with water in order to stretch it. Mm-hmm. So, so Di, maybe Di can speak well, a bit about I, that. I, yes, I do. E- everything I do, I will spray it. I'm using a soft water spray. And then obviously stretch it. I mean, I'm sure anybody who does any sort of embroidery or tapestry knows that that's what you do at the end of the end of it, mm-hmm. um, uh, and to square it off more than anything else. So it can certainly take that without a problem. Mm. Certainly wouldn't put it into hot water or into any sort of detergent or any sort of washing machine or you know that that's out of the question. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, that fair enough. <laughs> yes. So, do you actually following on from that? Do you have any tips for using your yarns within embroidery, or or if someone's doing tapestry? Well, our, our um, the range of people using our wools is is huge, and it's quite interesting because it's very different all over the world. For example, the Far East. Uh, China, Japan, South Korea, where we sell quite a lot of wool, um, only use cruel wool. They don't ever, ever, ever use tapestry wool. Um, and in America, it's a it's a mixture. Um, and but our our wool can be used on on canvas, as as I'm sure you can imagine, mm-hmm. for um, for all sorts of um, purposes. But, I mean, and it it can be used to make carpets. It can be used to make wool hangings. But it can also be used, particularly the cruel wool, can be used on linens and soft fabrics um, and for other purposes. Hmm. So it's also used by uh, rug restorers around the world um, who are repairing very old antique rugs. It's now used for making new rugs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the the uses go go on and on. I know when I have used, because I've used both the cruel and the tapestry wool of, of yours, and I, the, the main difference that I notice um, using it in a tapestry sense, you know, so pulling you it mean on canvas. On canvas, yes. yes. Um, the main thing that I've noticed is that it isn't woven quite as tightly. Uh, as some some of the others that I've used, um, and I think actually that can be a benefit, can't it? Well, yeah, it lays very well when you stitch, um, but particularly um, particularly when you're stitching on any, any sort of linen, it, it lies beautifully, and that's why you get the gradations so well because because of the softer texture of the wool. Um, when you say when you say softer, it's still incredibly hard wearing. That's mm. because we're we're at the top end of the hard wearing wool. In that, um, as Debs was saying, when we choose the wool to buy, it has to be at the very hard wearing end of the spectrum, because of course it's going to last for a long, long time. Yes, yeah. um, particularly if you put it into a carpet. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I suppose yeah. even things like church kneelers, that sort of thing, they're they're going to take wear, and you'd expect them to last quite a while, yeah. wouldn't you? Uh, hundreds of years. And um, I, I'm interesting that you brought that up because that is one of the one of the areas that very sadly has really died over the years since we've owned the business. It used to be a huge part of the business too. Mm. I mean, there were there were embroidery groups in every church all around the country, and huge ones in the cathedrals 
But I'm afraid to say, with 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 fewer people going to church, there is it's that is very much a very small part of our business now. Yeah, that's, um, that's a shame. Yeah. It's a wonderful tradition. It is. I, I think it was something that used to bring the congregation together. But I think from from what I've heard from other people, they would purchase kits, something that was agreed on, and they would all meet up and make. Yes, it's absolutely. a shame if that's died. Yeah. Yes, it has really. Mm. I, the, the cathedrals still have embroidery groups because there is so you know there's more money involved and uh, and a tourist business to to, to follow. So um, I'm happy to say we're still supplying quite a lot of the cathedrals, mm. but but church groups really have almost disappeared. Very sad. It is, mm. and it's really interesting that you bring up the way that things have come and gone because. The, you must have seen a lot of alteration and usage over, obviously over the, the the time that the business has been around, but equally just over the time that oh, you have it, owned it. Probably these ten years have been the biggest change of all. Mm. We do get a lot of, um, which is very exciting. We get wonderful public projects, which um, I'm very much, particularly in Scotland, uh, where the Great Tapestry of Scotland was done and the. Preston pans. I mean, huge projects these were, with with 120, 160 panels in, mm-hmm. um, and around the country and around the world, we 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 supply wool for large projects, um, which is which is wonderful to see. But um, I I don't know trends. Well, we 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 can talk about that too. What's what's happening next? Because mm. we are, we have got some changes coming. Oh, Yes. Yeah, like I, I te- going back to your question though, I think um, COVID had quite a big impact actually on on the way in pe- which people use our wool. So we found that we, like many craft companies, um, did incredibly well during COVID. It was a very busy time for us. Um, people were obviously, you know, at home. They were stitching more. It was very mindful. Um, it's it's been shown to have huge um, <laughs> mental health benefits. Um, and so I think what happened, well, what we've found has happened is that COVID had a bit of a switch on our, 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 our the way in which we sell our wool. So prior to COVID, we were selling a lot more cruel wool. And cruel wool tends to be used more for embroidery or, or it, it takes, because it's a finer wool, obviously it takes longer to create your project if you're using cruel wool, but you can get far more detail. Now, uh, tapestry wool, um, if you're if you're stitching a needlepoint or a tapestry, it's much quicker to use tapestry wool because it's a thicker wool, obviously, and 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 it you know you tend to use a, a larger holes per inch. And so what we found was that during COVID, almost we started selling more tapestry wool than cruel wool because we found that the age and the certainly the ability of our customers. Um, was decreasing, which was amazing. We were basically being, you you know, people were picking up a needle and thread um, who hadn't previously. So we were we were tapping into a whole group of people who hadn't previously thought about doing tapestry, which was absolutely fantastic. And often it it was it was going into a younger age group, a little bit like knitting went completely bonkers, didn't it, during mm. COVID? And we found the same with tapestry. And so because of that as well, and um, because we've been we've tapped into a much younger market, 
and also the very much the sort of mindful stitching, the fact people are finding it incredibly therapeutic. Um, we've noticed that our colours have, have evolved as well. So we're selling a lot more bright, funky colours than we were perhaps 10 years ago. Um, our colours, a lot of our, I mean, we still sell all of our colours, but we're finding that quite some really vibrant colours, some really contemporary designs are now taking off. So I'd say that's been quite a change. Would you agree, Dad? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Which is a wonderful thing. I mean, I couldn't be happier about that because, you know, to, to see where we're going, I don't know if you've looked at our kits and you've got pictures I have. of them, mm -hmm. but um, our range of authors' kits, which are pretty spectacular, um, mm. have been hugely successful. And, and that's definitely, definitely appealing to a younger audience. Yes, I can well imagine. Because of the, the colours. Mm, I can well imagine. And, I mean, COVID has, was a really... Well, obviously a very worrying time in some ways, but a very interesting time for crafts, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, there was a lot of change. I think, as you say, people suddenly had more time on their hands. I Do think what's more exciting, though, um, is, that, is the fact that obviously when we know from our figures is that an awful lot of people who did take it up in COVID didn't then stop when COVID finished, but have carried on. Mm. And that's hugely exciting for us. It's, so, it is. You know, people are getting the bug, which I'm loving seeing. Yes, I, I think I, I, I could agree with that in in our business as well. Uh, with the, obviously with the online learning, that we had a very busy, a very busy COVID Gosh, period. I bet you yeah, did. yeah. Wow. <laughs> and um, it's taken a little bit of adjustment since, but it is lovely to see more people, and as you say, younger uh, from a yeah. younger age group. Um, enjoying and also I think managing to uh, benefit from some of the, the the side effects of crafts because it is very it's very soothing it's very mindful um, in what is quite a stressful age mm. uh, I think it's a lovely way of uh, just taking some time out for yourself yeah. and um, being able to put your mind to rest for a little while yeah, absolutely. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, absolutely. I would have thought, especially with tapestry, because it is quite a repetitive, because you're using one stitch all the time. Yeah. So it is a very mindful thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. I say it's very mindful. I don't think Di's finding it very mindful this week, though. <laughs> oh, dear, why not? <laughs> I'm, I'm speed stitching. She's at the speed stitching. <laughs> We're launching some new designs, which is so exciting. Um, but I need, I, I'm, I'm nagging everybody because I'm, I'm trying to uh, do the photographs for the labels for the kits mm. which i need all of these stitched so yeah. um, everyone's under huge amounts of pressure to stitch very very quickly <laughs> be mindful about that <laughs> so can, can you tell us a little bit about what what will be on the new designs Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. We're so excited. So in the past, when you buy a tapestry, um, obviously you buy it, you get you get your wool, you get your your canvas, and then you do your tapestry and you have to decide, are you going to turn it into a cushion? Are you going to hang it on the wall? Are you going to put it in the back of your cupboard and think about it later? Um, which is what a lot of people often do. And so we thought, right, we need to give people a an entire experience so that they at the end of their stitching they have a product which they can immediately put on display mm -hmm. so we've um 
designed a range of boxes. Um, so we've got a memory box, which is sort of a little bit bigger than A4 size. Um, we've got a sort of a large trinket box and we've got a small trinket box. Um, and the, the boxes are being handmade in the UK because we are so desperate to make sure that everything we do stays in the UK. So they're being handmade in the UK and we are, we've created a range of, for our small trinket boxes, we've had a, um, a botanical artist has designed some absolutely beautiful flowers, um, which can be stitched quite quickly because they are using cruel wool, two strands of cruel wool, um, but they're quite small. And so they, how many hours would you say it would take to stitch one of the uh, dye would be a lot quicker. Oh, I couldn't possibly say. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's not a huge commitment. No, no and so certainly. you could you could do it if you were really focused, probably in a week or so. Yeah, no, definitely. So, yes. um, so we've got these stunning, stunning designs, um, which then once you once you stitch them, you can just pop them in the lid of your box. So it's a, the the lid of the box is a little bit like a frame. Mm-hmm. So you can pop it in the lid of your box, and hey, presto. Your design, your 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 um, craft is on display, and you've got a really nice practical. Box. Or you can do it for as a present. Yeah, or yeah. Present. So we've got a range of. So we've got these four beautiful botanical flowers on the small ones, and the the the, the larger trinket boxes. We've gone geometric, so we've got a range of stripes and hearts, and they are beautiful, really lovely. And then for the big one, we're doing um, these beautiful sort of circles. Um, but um, again, it's a memory box, and you can customize that and put an initial in the middle. So we were thinking it would be quite, quite good for a new baby box um, or for for somebody um, as a gift and yes. their initial in it. So um, that sounds lovely. Yeah. Yes. So they're really lovely. A little bit under pressure this week to get the ready <laughs> next yes, week. I can imagine. <laughs> it's not. It's not easy speed stitching, is it? <laughs> I know. Very <laughs> satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> So it's quite a it's quite a lot of work just getting to a show, isn't it? And you know, with everything you need, with all of your samples, and yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right in the thick of it at the moment. Oh, so what kind of has anyone ordered the electrics? You know, there's so many things. Have we got the have we got the van hired? Yes, we've got the van hired. Mm. <laughs> have we got the parking place? So yes, have we designed the stand? Um, yes, it's quite a lot of work. Yes. I yeah. can well imagine. And are you both going? Yes. Well, the whole team's going. So we've right. got a rotor um, drawn up to make sure that, that everybody's got their taking their turn. Um, it's at Alexandra Palace, which is a bit of a bit of a difficult one to get to, isn't it? It's not straightforward mm. in London. Um, but yes, we've uh, we've got our and, parking spaces. And booked. we're we're sharing our stand with one of our designers, our main designer, Emily Peacock, who we've shared a stand with before at the Stitch Festival. Um, so she will be there every day um, and she will be stitching on the stand too. So, yeah. And it, she has some amazing designs. And, it, and it's fun to be there with yeah. Emily. So. And she's a laugh. So, yeah, yeah we love her. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I know that you mentioned right at the beginning of our chat that you, that uh, the company used to dye wool for William Morris. Um, yeah. Do you do you ever do any um, kits or projects that are William Morris based? Well, we, we you know that one of our designers is Beth Russell. Ah, yes. One of our main customers. And really she has cornered the market because her William Morris are the best. Um, mm. So I, we certainly wouldn't try and repeat those. Well, so there you can get the strawberry thief, thief and 
and all the very famous William Morris designs. So we, the, she's using the same colors, absolutely the same colors that were there in 1856. Yeah, yeah. and she, she predominantly uses cruel wool, but then we have another designer um, or another company, Bothy, and they also do a range of William Morris that um, using tapestry wool, um, which is is very accessible as well. So yeah, we, we don't feel like we, we should do that because it's sort of already being done yeah. using yeah. our by some of our fantastic customers so so really when you're looking for commissioning anything new you you've also got that extra thought in the back of your mind that you don't want to step on any customers oh, toes as well. yeah that must be a challenge well not really I mean I think that you know designers can go on finding new new and exciting projects and that's what we're trying to do too mm. You're, yeah. You have, to, but you're right though, because we have now just recently launched a retail arm. So we're we're selling retail as well to our customers, and and we were very very conscious that we didn't want to step on any of our um, our customers' toes. Um, so so yes, so so we are we are always aware that we're working alongside and with um, our wholesale customers, and we don't want to be working against them. So yeah, yeah. it's a it's a team effort. Yeah, no, I, I, can, I can well imagine. So obviously you've got the show coming up next week, but do you have any um, other plans for the future? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it's a very busy time at the moment. There's lots of projects. Can't look beyond next week. No, no, no. <laughs> I get the slightly I can't look beyond next week. But we are also looking to... Um, so we are, as I'd mentioned earlier, we're looking to put everything on cone. So we have had a lot of our customers, um, particularly the weavers, um, were very keen to get get um, wool on cone. So we've had to change the way in which. So, so as I said, we were still hank dyeing, absolutely. But instead of dyeing in our small hanks, we're dyeing in much larger hanks. And then we are then turning them into small hanks after they've been dyed, which means that um, all of our wool can be sold in small hanks, so so sort of retail hanks on cone, um, in sort of half kilo cones, um, or in skeins. Now, the reason that's important is if we maintain dyeing in the smaller hanks, you can't then rejoin the wool back together again and put it into to, to sort of bigger hanks to put onto a cone. So that's a change in the way we're working. Um, we are constantly looking at new colors should we put new ranges out there um i think the next range that we'll be doing will be an, a new range of grays um although yeah that that is sort of on my list of things to do after the show mm -hmm. um so we're, we're always looking at new colors we're always looking at um you know we're launching as i said at the moment um 10 new designs and that's quite a lot for us to do in one go um but we will be continually looking at, at launching um new new um tapestries um yeah when you when you actually launch new colors do you just allow them to increase the size of your range or do you withdraw some as well okay that's a really interesting question because um yes so obviously we can't just keep going increasing 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 because we just would run out of warehouse space but we're again very mindful of the fact that we don't want to upset people and we don't want to discontinue a color that perhaps they're using in a kit or perhaps we don't want to upset you know we don't want a customer to come to us and say you know I've got as I said I've got this tapestry that my great auntie did and I want to redo it How, do you still do 
148, we want to be able to say, yes, of course we do. Um, so what we do is we will only discontinue a colour if, and it has to meet both this criteria, if we sell very, very little of it. And when we we have when we dye wool, we have minimum quantities to dye because you have to fill a vat. So really, when we dye wool, we the minimum we would ever dye would be fifteen kilos of it. So if we are selling less than a kilo a year, you can see how it makes it quite unsustainable to keep mm. it. But we would keep it if we don't have an almost identical colour. So we will only discontinue wool if we're selling a really tiny amount of it and. Um, we have an almost identical colour in the range. And that can sometimes happen. So, you know, we can sometimes find that that we've got colours that um, are, are almost identical that are in different ranges. And so in that case, we would then we would then discontinue it. But but we don't really like doing it. We've only ever once gone through a sort of discontinuing process. And um, yeah, it made it. it, it that we had a few people that had a problem with it but actually we were able to overcome them yeah um but but yes so so in answer to your question no we don't just keep adding and adding and adding and adding and never discontinuing because otherwise we would need an insanely large warehouse Mm -hmm. um but um we would only discontinue if we felt that it wasn't going to have an impact on our customers yeah Mm -hmm. i know i've spoken to many people over the years that Mm -hmm. they get part way through a a tapestry they perhaps haven't necessarily always used the correct stitch to do it with yeah (laughs) i'm sure that you recognize that one yeah we get Uh, the same i can imagine (laughs) (laughs) so instead of using obviously um half cross stitch they're using 10 stitch or whatever yeah um and they run out part way and they need to buy some it's a different dye lot do you have any tips for them about how they could integrate one with the other um i'll well i'm going to answer that from a practical perspective then with the tips i don't know if dye might have a tip yes i have or she has so what i would say is um firstly we are i check the wool in and i'm really really uh annoying about how how close it has to be to the to what <laughs> i say is the standard so i have in the office a, ra- a, a, a huge amount of boxes that have got all of our standards in and that is like everything has to match the standard so first of all i'm pretty confident that if you order another color it should be it shouldn't be discernible the difference mm. um, if you absolutely want to be careful you could always send us a snippet of the wool that you are trying to match and we would go and have a look at all of the wool that we have in that color um and you know and it might be that we have two or three dye lots on the go at the same time depending on how many we how much we sell of a particular color so we would try and match it as closely as we could now i'll pass over to dye for maybe a more practical <laughs> well obviously the the problem occurs most mostly when people say oh i found this tapestry at the back of my granny's cupboard and, yes and now mm. she's died and i really want to finish it and and it's from 1953. Well, there is no way that that the dialogues are going to be the same. Obviously, um, my my only tip it's very hard to help if it's if it's tapestry wool because you're going to be stitching up close. My only tip with cruel wool is that if there is some there, you can split the strands and use the new one 
And so have one strand of the old and one strand with the new and then gently merge it away from the way where you were stitching. Mm. And that can work. I mean, it, it, we're talking background now. If you're doing yes. it, an old fashioned tapestry, um, that's, you know, that's about the, the best that we can do. Other mm. than that, you, you're in for a lot of unpicking, I'm afraid. Yes. Um, I, I suppose the advice that I've given to people in the past is to try and do an alternate row, you know, old, new, if you have yeah. enough. There. Yeah, well, that's exactly. But mm. you see, with, with cruel, you can split it and then yes. you can have one one. And that works quite well. Mm. Um, and you get a sort of nice textured sort of um, um, tweedy finish. Um, yeah. And it, it's, uh, it's rather nice. Mm. Anyway, um, it, it is a problem that comes up quite a lot. You'd I'm sure it does. I'm yeah. sure it does. Yeah. And Best so, can do. <laughs> yeah. So as far as, um, I know we're sort of probably coming to the end. Um, I'm sure you're probably quite glad about that because if you've got people waiting to come into the office (laughs) they've been banished Uh, busy picking orders so yeah hopefully they're doing some speed stitching for you for next week but I just wondered if you had any sort of um, anecdotes or a short story to finish off with Oh my God! Oh, do I? No, I Probably most are unprintable. Um, <laughs> oh dear! about <laughs> when when you first bought the company and you were packing and fell in the box? Oh, I did. Oh, and also when we bought the company and we moved the moved the wool up here, and we found a packet of cheese and onion crisps <laughs> in one of the bags. <laughs> the wool was in a pretty bad state when we moved. It was. Um, uh, it was quite a challenge, I have mm. to tell you. <laughs> mm, I'm uh, sure. It's all changed now. But there was quite a funny story. Can I tell the story <laughs> yes, about your box? So when, um, when uh, so this is probably nine years ago? No, I mean, ten, ten years, years ago. ago. <laughs> so we, we um, so the company moved sort of lock, stock and barrel, obviously, from London to to um, near Oxford. And um, and over that time, we'd, we'd gone, I think he'd stopped fulfilling orders, hadn't he? Completely. And so he'd stopped fulfilling. So we had this mountain of orders to fulfill. Um, and obviously, we had to get it up and running. We had to put the wool away. You know, we had to know exactly. And we were mm. out of stock of so many colours at the time. Because th- when we when we picked you know pick the wool up there were we are now almost never out of stock of anything but then you know we had thousands well not thousands obviously but loads and loads of colors that we had to get dyed very very quickly um so consequently we had all these orders piling up trying to keep the customers happy trying to get them out as quickly as possible so um i think die you were working weekends weren't you Um, absolutely 24 7 yeah Yeah. and um and we had these huge boxes um that were we would fill with skeins and and we had a lot of orders for america so Di was filling this box with skeins and as she leant over the box because it was so deep um she actually completely fell this isn't actually a story when i think about it she completely <laughs> fell in the box but couldn't get herself out of the box oh my goodness poor Di had broken a rib so <laughs> oh no she was stuck with her legs like flailing in the air in in this box fortunately she wasn't on her own so did you have Pete and Colin yes pulled me out Pete and Colin had to pull her out but they couldn't pull her out without laughing well they were laughing so much they didn't know what to do anyway they got me out and I and I thought 
God, that hurts. And I found I've, I've broken two ribs, actually. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my goodness! The the things that we do for customers, exactly <laughs> the dedication to getting dedication. the order. dedication. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those days are over. Thank God. <laughs> you must you must have wondered, I suppose, in that process, what on earth you'd done? Why did I buy this business? Believe me, I did sleepless nights thinking, what have we done, <laughs> and how long it would take to turn around. But the best thing that happened was that we employed some wonderful people, one of which sitting next to me, Debbie and Caroline, who from day one, and it seems that anybody who ever joins Appleton's never leaves. So, so oh, that's, that's lovely. That's yeah. good news. <laughs> it must be a nice place to work. Yes, yes, it is. yes yeah. it's good fun. It is. Um, so well, uh, there we are. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a complete pleasure talking to you. And, and especially now that I know what you the pressure that you're under for next week. <laughs> That's all right, Gail. It's lovely to talk to you. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.